Welcome, welcome, welcome to HMG Podcast. This is your host, Hashem Ming Garrett. First things first, I want to say thank you. But second things, what we got to do, we got to cut that sound. Cut it. My gosh, I love it, but I hate it. It's a thin line between love and hate. Listen, thank you for joining me on my podcast. This is your host again, Hashem Ming Garrett. I hope you all are doing well. I hope you really are. Thank you again. Um, Always remember that you can reach me on different platforms. If it's Instagram, it's Hashem underscore Garrett. If it's TikTok, it's Tribe Garrett. If it's my email, again, it's first and last name at Gmail and the same thing. Facebook, it is Hashem Garrett. I don't know if I'm supposed to call it Metaverse. I'm not quite sure. I don't know what's going on. But listen, you can just reach out to me. And again, thank you. Today, right, I want to have a conversation with you about law enforcement. Well, I don't know if many of you know, but I am a person of color, right? And uh, I've had my run-ins with the law enforcement, you know? Some have been not too well, right? Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember I lived in a town. It was predominantly white. It was in New Jersey, and uh, this was in the 90s, right? And this town, I'm not going to even mention it, but this town, was uh near Jersey City. I'll give you a little clue. Near Jersey City in New Jersey. So if you feel like pulling out Google Maps and stuff, you might know where I'm talking about. But I ain't gonna mention no names, right? But anyway, this town, I moved there in ninety one and I was sixteen years old. Now you guys are doing math, stop it. Right? And so I moved there, my mom and I, and uh when I first got a car, it was about two or three years later, right? And so really didn't have too many problems with the police prior to then. Um, I guess really my first interaction with the law enforcement at this all white town was when I first moved there. It was 1991. It was probably, I want to say about early November, early November, 1991. All my cousins and my friends, they come out, all young black kids from the hood came out to Brooklyn, came out from Brooklyn to visit me. I just moved out there and it was probably about eight or nine of them. We're all teenagers. I'm 16. Some of them are 18, 19, my age. And so we're outside. We're smoking a little weed on a, the main strip. We don't know any better. You know, we're from Brooklyn. We smoke wherever we, wherever we want to. We do whatever we want to, you know. And uh, we get out there. And lo and behold, as we're coming back to my building, one of my friends, he goes, hey, yo, bro, like, yo, that looks like TNT, which means like, you know, the undercover cops. And he's like, yo, that's TNT. I'm like, oh, man, you bugging out. They ain't, that's not the cops. You, It's all white town. You know, we're not doing anything. Just smoking a little weed. We was probably out there for like all the 20 minutes, right? Sure enough, as we get back into the building, guy, white guy jumps out his, out his uh, car and comes in behind us. And he sees us going to the apartment. He asks my mom, hey, these kids live here? Yeah, yeah, they live here. All right, just check and close the door. That was the first. Now, mind you, had that been in Brooklyn, I would have... I would have paid attention if I saw a white guy, you know, driving past while we were on the main strip. We'd have automatically known in Brooklyn, hey, if that's a white guy in a four-door sedan or in a Jeep, we kind of know that's probably the boys. It's probably the cops, 12, one time, right? But in this particular moment, the whole town was white. How in the world was I supposed to know that that was the boys? But my man, he peeped it. That was my first interaction. Fast forward a few years later, I get my car. I'm 18 years old now. Can't wait. Finally driving. And I get put the tinted windows on the back. You know, I put a little tints on the front. It's illegal, right? 
So how they tell me the first time cops pulled me over, this one cop in particular. First initial was E, last initial was R. I'm not going to say his name. But this guy, oh my gosh. Every single time he saw me on the road, this guy was giving me a ticket. I mean, he was constantly pulling me over. It was this, it was that. Woo, 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 woo. Now, this town was known for harassing black people. I didn't know. I was 16 when I first moved there. But the people in the town of color and the neighboring towns were like, oh, you live over there? Psh, I don't know, man. I wouldn't want to live over there. They racist. Them crackers. This, this, that. I'm like, oh, man, listen, I ain't never had no problems. But once I started driving, it was like everything changed. I was I was I was guilty just because I was behind the wheel. I mean, I removed the tent still was having problems. I mean, it got so bad that one night I'll never forget. Uh, this was right around the time when I knew, you know, and it was time for me to get out of there. A few years had gone by. And like I said, I was always having problems with the police. You know, and it wasn't because I was necess- I wasn't doing anything wrong. It was just I was black and I was driving and they were just known for, you know, harassing people. And so one evening, it's probably about three o'clock in the morning, two in the morning. There's a banging, somebody banging on our door. We come to the door, you know, wipe the coal out of our eyes. Who is it? Who is it? It's the police. All right. What's the problem? Yeah, well, we want to let you know uh, there was a disturbance outside. What do you mean a disturbance? Like, I don't get it. Why are you knocking on my door? Yeah, we want to let you know that somebody shot your vehicle up. I'm looking around. And the interesting part is I didn't even know the town had black police officers. But who knocks on my door is a black cop who works for the town and says, yeah, somebody shot your car up. The first thing I'm thinking is, wait a second, I don't have any problems with anybody. Who would want to shoot my vehicle up? Yeah, I don't know. I had never even heard of a car being shot at while nobody's sitting it. Who does that? Was it a jilted girlfriend? Scratching my head like, nah, I don't think it was. How would a girl shoot my car up? Like, we, no, no. It could only be one. It's these cops. I mean, listen, this is America. And unfortunately, you know, the history of America does show that Law enforcement sometimes is tied into these uh, homegrown terrorists, better known as Ku Klux Klan and whatever new forms and names that we call them now in 2022. But this was my experience. I mean, growing up in Brooklyn, we had cops who who would terrorize us, but they were doing their jobs. They were they were protecting the servant and we was doing what we did and we we understood Right. We understood how the, the the dynamics of those relationships. I'm supposed to be the bad guy. You're supposed to be the good guy. You're going to arrest me. I'm going to run. If you catch me, chances are you're going to beat me up. Like I understood how this process worked. But when you move to a all white town and you're driving and you're not doing anything wrong and you're being harassed, you go, oh, wait a minute. There's a problem. And so that was the first time that I really said, wow, not only is you know racism real and alive in America, but also that driving while a person of color is hazardous to your health. And from 18 to my still to this very day, when I drive and the police are behind me or they're in front of me or their side of the road, you know, I'm looking. And so today is a conversation that we have to have, um, you know, I have to tell you, as I mentioned, you know, I've had some some kind of bad run-ins. So what I mentioned, then I've had a lot of great run-ins with law enforcement. 
And sometimes I'm a little conflicted in how I feel because I understand what it means to be driving while black. I understand that feeling that we as black men in particular, you know, feel when the police pull up behind us or when we make eye contact with them while we're driving and hoping like, oh, man, I hope this dude don't come around and start messing with me, you know. But on the same token, because I've worked with police officers and I've known them personally, whether they're white or black and had dinner at their houses and went on vacation with them and like just realizing at the end of the day, like, look, these are just people. And that's the conversation I want to just have. Like, you know, yeah, believe me, I understand that there are police who abuse their power, but I also understand that there are police officers who go way, they go above and beyond to, to help. Um, you know, I, I have to say that there was a good friend of mine who passed away and he was a police officer. He was, he was an NYP detective, Detective Stephen McDonald, who was shot in 1986 while um, on patrol in Central Park. You can look his, you can look him up, Google him, Detective Stephen McDonald. And he was shot multiple times and he sustained a spinal cord injury. He was a quadriplegic and doctor, uh, I keep saying doctor, Detective Stephen McDonald. Um, I met him and worked with him, met his son, met his wife, um, went to his mom's funeral. Uh, his son, Connor, if I'm not mistaken, is, is going to be a dad soon. His, his son, Connor, is a, a lieutenant now in the NYPD, New York Police Department. And, you know, Detective Stephen McDonald was truly a phenomenal human being. And he talked about after his injury, how he forgave. Uh, he was he was truly amazing. And just from having my the interactions that I had with him and the speaking engagements that we did going into schools and seeing the response. And, you know, I remember watching Dr. Uh, keep saying doctor, excuse me, everybody. But uh, I remember seeing Detective McDonald. I'll just call him Stephen. I remember seeing Stephen, um, you know, sign books with a pen in his mouth. And he always had an aide with him. He had, you know, law enforcement that would travel with him. You know, he wasn't, he couldn't drive. He couldn't move anything except for his head. But he was really a strong man. And he survived like that in that condition as a quadriplegic for over 30 years. And he spoke about love. He spoke about forgiveness. He spoke about how he forgave the kid who shot him. The kid who shot him was 16 who was of a different race, and he talked about how he forgave him. And so when I see and I hear stories about police officers and, um, you know, I know that they get a bad rap, but I have to say that um, it is important that we we extend a little empathy to law enforcement. Just hear me out on this one for those who are saying, whoa, 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 empathy for them. But I want to just I want you to understand how difficult it must be. Walk a mile in my shoes, right? I want to just put you in that mindset for a second. Just walk a mile in my shoes. I want you to walk a mile in the shoes of what it must feel like to be law enforcement. And every single time that you, you know, you put your uniform on and you go outside, you know, you go off to work that there's a there's a possibility that you may not come home. Right? There's a possibility that you may see some horrific things in that day. There is a there's a possibility that you may go out to work that day and someone is probably going to try to take your life, 
spit on you, call you names, fight you like this. This is the reality of what you might have to encounter every single day. Right? And in the process of doing that every single day, you have to make these split decisions in, in a blink of an eye. You have to figure out, was that a gun? Was that a knife? Was he reaching? Was she lunging? Was she going to do this? You know, is that car coming? Like all of these split decisions you have to make constantly. You know, it's dark and he was running and I couldn't tell like. And are there police officers who have like some sort of implicit bias? I'm sure. But are there a lot of police officers who are just in the line of duty are trying to make these quick judgment calls. I've met a lot of police officers who said, listen, they've never fired their gun and they've been police officers for 20 plus years. They've never had to pull their gun out of their holster. Right. And so, but what about those stories? And what about the, listen, I am not trying to say what we see is uh, right. When we, we hear about these murders, the George Floyd, I'm not trying to stick up for those cops. I am just trying to say that it is important for us not to paint with this broad stroke that if you put on a uniform, it is me. It is us against them. I just want to remind you that because you put on that uniform, it is not a us against them. And if you you for those in law enforcement, just because you put on a uniform, it is not a you all of you against all of us. Right. We're still one. And so. Yes, I, I'm just encouraging us to walk a mile in their shoes, a mile in their shoes, you know. And the reality is that, unfortunately, police officers have to wear too many hats. They have to, you know, the, the system is rigged in a way because they have to make these quick judgment calls. They're the ones who get all of the blame, you know, when things go wrong. Right. And uh, unfortunately, they can abuse their power, but at the, the reality is they do not make the laws. So if they break the law or if they are doing something and they say, but this is the law, then in turn, I don't think all our anger should be directed at them. I think a lot of our anger and frustration and bones of contention have to be taken with those who are writing these laws. And so on the flip side, I have to have a conversation with all my young people. If you are stopped by the police, understand that you have to have a certain amount of knowledge about the law. But at the same token, it is not in your best position. It is not in our best position in that moment when being approached by a police officer to pretend that we know all of the laws and the codes and say, well, I'm not putting my hands up and I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. Now this situation become very hostile very quickly. And so it's important to just keep that in mind. I'd rather go to court and figure out how I can fight my fight, you know, this injustice in court as opposed to fighting with a police officer who's armed and now they've got to make a split decision whether oh am I grabbing my gun or am I grabbing my taser or oh I'm holding you down and you're resisting they say put your hands behind your back just put your hands behind your back comply so we don't die you know put your hands on the wheel put your hands on the wheel you know and we're going to talk slowly I'm going to talk calmly right and this is, and I'm not saying everything that I'm saying that if you do X, Y, and Z, you will walk away from this altercation. All I am saying is some of the things that we are doing are not working. 
So we can't just tell a cop, well, I know my laws. I'm not doing this. If you say to put my hands behind my head, I'm putting my hands behind my head. You say get down on the ground. Oh, okay. I know you. you this is humiliating right now. All right. Uh, all right. Then do it. You got, they got, we, 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 I'll have my day in court. That's what I'm trying to do. You know? And so if the cop is wrong, then we have to, we have to go the route of using the law on our side. And if the cop isn't wrong, the police officer isn't wrong, then they're just doing their job. But walk a mile in my shoes. So for my young people, comply so we don't die. Live to to fight another day. We have to pick our battles. There are a lot of people who are dealing with a lot of mental health issues. And, you know, in some cities, they 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 don't just dispatch police officers for everything. Because sometimes police officers are coming to scenes that really the police don't need to be the first responders. Some of the first responders need to be psychiatrists and mental health specialists and social workers. We send in the police officers to do everything. Oh, break up a fight. Well, the, you know, the children, this, I call DIFUS. Like, let, let the police be the backup for that. Let, the, let those who specialize in those particular mental health areas be the first with the police in tow, but not guns blazing, not coming in because, you know, the person is off their meds and mental health. Like these are the things that we need. And on the same token, you know, when police officers are coming into homes and, you know, children have to be removed. I also believe that it's important that, you know, DIFUS and these, these, uh, I say DIFUS here in, in, in the Northeast, you know, these different kind of organizations that have to remove children out of homes because of the, the, because of abuse. We have to make sure that the schools know what are happening to these children. When the police have to come in and somebody, mommy and daddy had to be arrested or somebody was killed. You know, very often students go to school the next day or later on that week and nobody in the school really knows what's happening in the home life for these children. It's imperative that we have that, 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 that communication happening from the schools to what's happening with the criminal justice system. So at least the teachers will understand why this kid has his head down, why this kid or this, this boy or girl is standoffish. They don't want to talk today. Why they're upset. Why they're sad. Why today do they seem different? I think it's important that we just have conversations and we know about what's going on in people's homes. So again, I just say this to say, you know, police officers wear a lot of hats. And we need to figure out in the future what we can do to alleviate some of that for them. You know, stop, stop and frisk where they would just, you know, pat down guys and see if they had a gun. We get mad at the police, but the, the police officers didn't make the law. They're all the way at the bottom of the pole in the criminal justice system. They're at the bottom. They are the foot soldiers. They are not the ones writing the laws. They have to enforce it. Right? The people who write the laws don't worry if they're going home tomorrow today and tomorrow right and so i just say walk a mile in my shoes understand what they're going through you know so i'm just here here to tell you that uh there are a lot of kids you know police officers who are listening there are a lot of kids who are truly truly afraid there are a lot of adults who are truly afraid of the police and sometimes that fear is can turn into rage and sometimes that fear can turn into aggression and just talking you know get tired of being um stopped get tired of you know 
let me see your ID. We get tired of feeling that way. And that that at some point, you know, people get get tired of being tired and they, they lash out. Walk a mile in my shoes, police officers. And so I just hope that if this message, if we can walk away with just being a little bit more empathetic and, and just realize that it's not easy and let's communicate. You know, again, there are a lot of great police officers out here who put their life on the line every single day. And I commend you for it. And for all of our young people out there, just understand that um, comply. Let's let's figure out how we can see another day. Stop talking back. Stop, you know, being aggressive. I understand you're frustrated. I understand. But there's a way there's internal affairs. There are ways to go about addressing it. If you have a cop or police officer who's abusing their power. But in that moment and fighting and not, you know, resisting and running, that's not the way. Yo, I'm going to teach you a lesson and then I know my rule, my laws and my the laws and I know my rights and da, da, da. Well, if you truly know it, then I hope you're in law school. If you're that serious about you knowing the law, because if you do, then you're forced to be reckoned with. And if you truly know the law, then you know fighting in that moment is not the answer. You know, the man with the gun usually won. That's all I'm saying. Slip to see another day. Cops, I take my hat off to you, which you do every single day. For all of the fallen soldiers out there, for all of the fallen police officers, for all of the police officers that I've worked with over the years, you know how I feel about you. I love you guys. And for all my people out here who don't understand what police officers go through, find a cop befriend one then i don't 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 judge don't judge the book by it you know judge don't judge everybody based off of what a few do all right but you know we often talk about in the neighborhoods that it's uh that code of you know the code of silence that code of not snitching just like we in our communities have to do a better job of saying hey there's some issues going on we can't blame the cops for everything right we know the drug dealers we know the killers we know we know some of these people and i'm not saying that we need to police our communities but i'm just saying if we know that there are things happening it's part of it's part of our job to to make our neighborhoods better and then on the you know on the flip side of it as well is that listen police officers when you know you got some bad apples in the in the, the force Got to figure out how to weed them out because they're making everybody look bad. Listen, stay well. Remember, whatever is rare or unique has enormous value, and it is the same with you. You are special. God made you for a purpose that no one else can do. I thank you for joining me on HMG Podcast. You are loved. You are special. Have a blessed day. Peace.